education around how to make your immune system healthy, that would be mandated, in my opinion. There would be more education around that because I think that empowers people and I think that's part of the solution. Because right now, the only thing that you're hearing is just get vaccinated. And so that still propels fear. Fear suppresses your immune system because cortisol is not good at high levels constantly. But no one knows that. Welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Walker. As a former naturopathic doctor and anthropologist, I align the intersection of personal performance, purpose, and innovative thinking in badass women working to change the world as entrepreneurs and go-getters. Anthropology is the study and science of what makes an entrepreneur think, feel, and perform in a path compelled by a vision for helping others, solving problems, while building a life on your own terms. Together, we are exploring the health, mindset, and strategies that distinguish the world's best entrepreneurs. This is the Anthropology Podcast. Welcome to episode 255 of the Anthropology Podcast. We've got a good one today. I decided, you know, as we start into 2022, I wanted to just make sure, you know, I shared at the end of 2021, I want to have more fun. So in the spirit of wanting to have more fun and and keep things light, uh, I decided to uh, to do an entire podcast dedicated to vaccination. Um, I'm being moderately sarcastic here because sometimes, well, frankly, that is always uh, how I, I tend to cope uh, cope with stress. It's like it's funnier and funnier. And I really had, I tried to rein it in for the purposes of this uh, conversation. I tried to keep it under wraps because I know this is, this is actually something really important, really important to people, really important to, to all of us who are in this uh, together. And the spirit of this conversation uh, with an amazing colleague of mine, Dr. Taylor Bean, is that we wanted to be able to provide you with additional fruit for your platter. And when I say additional fruit for your platter, what I mean is we both recognized that there was a need for us to have greater empathy in how we viewed the decision-making of those around us, how we viewed the decision-making of those who cho- chose to lean in to vaccinations at, at, with various levels of enthusiasm, those who are hesitant towards vaccinations. This is not a podcast that is pro or against. This is a podcast whose intention is to help inform a greater degree of tolerance and empathy for the spectrum of decisions that individuals are making based on their unique life experiences and the collision of their life experiences with the real-time science and circumstances of the world we are all living in today. And if you are curious about that, if you are interested in understanding and having a greater degree of insight into the types of pieces of information that are informing different decisions, in some cases, uh, than your own, then you have come to the right place. This is a long interview because it is a fulsome topic, and I wanted to make sure that we allowed space for the full breadth of conversation. I am super excited to introduce you to my colleague, 
Dr. Taylor Bean. She is a vaccinating naturopathic doctor from BC. She opens every Instagram post with as a vaccinating naturopathic doctor and as a result has a very unique perspective to share. It is my pleasure to introduce you to her now. Dr. Taylor Bean, welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Okay, so we have a big, we've got a big topic we're going to lean into today. We were actually just, just before we hit start, we were, we were laughing. We're like, how are we going to infuse humor and sarcasm and joking into what is really a a heavy conversation, I think for the world right now, uh, which is exploring this notion of vaccination. And um, I'm excited to have this conversation uh, with you. And before we jumped on, we, we both agreed that the outcome of the conversation that we want to deliver is a landscape of ideas and perspectives that maybe you haven't had access to before that can inform your empathy and understanding of the spectrum of decisions that are being made in society right now. So this is not, uh, I want to set the intention even before I, I I do have a question eventually, but I want to set this intention for everybody uh, with in the portion of the interview where we're both here, that what we are not here to do is to sway an opinion one way or another. It is, we are going to put ideas on the table. And I would say this to my patients all the time. I'm going to put stuff on the platter in front of you and you have a choice as to whether or not you pick it up. But if it's never put on the platter in the first place, well, then you don't have the opportunity to have a full spectrum of knowledge and insight. And so that really is the intention of our conversation today. It's going to be fun. It'll probably be triggering. Uh, All the things that make for a great podcast episode. Okay, Taylor, now that I've set the stage for us, can you share with my listeners who you are and why you really are uniquely positioned to have this conversation with me today? So my name is Dr. Taylor Bean. I am a naturopathic doctor located in British Columbia, just in the Shushwap area outside of Salmon Arm. And this has been a long journey, not a journey that I chose originally, but it, I guess it just, it landed in my lap and I've really, um, embodied it completely. So my career started working, uh, we were living in Singapore and there are mandated vaccines there. Um, and then I, my son was born there. So then having a child, I, I was, you know, loving to take, um, pediatric patients before that I wasn't so into seeing children, but having becoming a mother, you are. And so I just love seeing kiddos. So with that was the discussion of vaccination came. And I had two families who didn't know each other that had come in where they had some really profound questions and queries around vaccination. And I was a new grad at the time. Um, and our training in vaccination in school is going to be the schedule and the infections that you vaccinate against. That's it. Really doesn't need to be any more than that. And so the questions, though, that they posed to me, and they're very um, elegant um, questions that I couldn't answer. And I actually felt embarrassed that I didn't know the answer to that. And then it happened again to me. And I was like, okay, they have been to specialists in Singapore And in Singapore, you can get care with whomever you want quickly. And that had happened. And I'm like, well, you've spoken to X, Y, Z professional and they couldn't answer. Well, I feel like I can answer this. So that started the journey that, that propelled me forward to 
really learn about vaccination. So then we move back to uh, British Columbia. And here in British Columbia, we can have the, our scope includes being able to vaccinate children age five and over. And so then it just continued from there. And so I, as a result of embodying that, you know, patients get, you know, caught wind that, you know, I'm vaccinating. um, But then also I am educating people around me that I want you to ask questions I want you to send in questions actually before you come in. And so I want to know what you want to know and what you don't know. And let's go from there. And so that has, you know, increased. That's probably one of the primary um, aspects of my practice now is around vaccination. And it's just interesting to hear the stories that families faced around their previous um, healthcare practitioner on how they were treated when they asked the, you know, X question. And so I, um, you know, teaching me of, of what's actually happening out there was recognizing a, a place that um, no one was sitting in. And it was simply around allowing patients to ask questions and how not allowing them to ask questions was actually breeding hesitancy. And I could see it where they're like, well, my health care practitioner told me, well, if I don't, you know, the things they would say were either shaming them, gaslighting them. It was quite disrespectful. And so they're like, I can't go back. I, I can't face my, my practitioner. I cannot. And so it was like, interesting how you were treated made you actually pause and hesitate to be vaccinated as a result of your experience. So that's just grown. And then from there is, you know, understanding the nuances of vaccination, um, the shortfalls of vaccination and how we can improve even vaccine hesitance or um, efficacy. And so, and what that entails. Um, and so that just sort of taken it full on and, um, and all angles of vaccination. So it started with children. Um, you know, now we're in the COVID time. So now we're talking about COVID. The era of COVID. (laughs) So um, now it's sort of, you know, a new vaccine, a new, you know, this new infection um, dealing with that we can vaccinate against. And so, um, you know, now I'm I'm learning more about this and and having a conversation with patients around. And now um, children are eligible to be vaccinated against um, COVID as well. Um, so then that's now another new conversation to, to bring in, but typically and traditionally it has been around the traditional vaccines, um, for the childhood schedule. So that's sort of my, my journey, um, in a couple of minutes of, of, of why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I really want to, I want to change the landscape of vaccination. I do because I see that there are big issues and when you, um, disregard someone's question or you, um, skirt around it, or, you know, you're, someone's going to look at you like, why are you not answering this for me? You're the professional. You should be able to answer the question or say, you don't know, and send me off to where I should be if you don't have enough time today. Um, so yeah, so that's been the, the journey that continues. Is vaccination a black and white issue? Mm, No, no. No, no, no. That was a rhetorical question. (laughs) (laughs) It is so colorful. It's Ah, a rainbow. (laughs) And and I think that's breaking down, you know, 
breaking down all the aspects of vaccination is it's not black and white. It is not. And, you know, even using the terms, you know, when I do lectures uh, for for doctors, you know, locally and internationally, I really begin the conversation around this yes and no, black and white, pro, anti. And I really want to change the language because I even, you know, if you feel comfortable being called pro-vaccine, pro-vax, I'm not actually comfortable hearing the word anti-vax because I think that, because even pro-vax, you can, then you are labeled as, well, you're not going to, you know, be able to talk about it or you don't want to talk about it or you don't want to be, you know, maybe more educated around um, whichever vaccine, believe it or not, things in science teaches us new things around vaccination. What? Compared to, <laughs> compared science to, evolves? Wait a second. Yeah, science evolves. It's this weird phenomenon. So even from two years to five years, 10 years ago, things are different and right. countries are discovering new things. And so I think it really takes a wise person to be able to be open to these new things versus just sort of stuck in one way or the other. So really then being in the middle is where I like to sit, that pro-choice, um, whichever way that you want to you know, think about vaccination or what your decision becomes, you've made a choice for yourself that's pro for you. That's why you made the choice, be you do or you don't. Yes, there's only two decisions, either do or you don't, but the labeling, I mean, the labeling is just... Um, really stagnates us within this conversation when you label someone and then you're not capable of learning more or having the grace or the wisdom to understand why certain other decisions are made for somebody or for themselves that don't involve you. And there's a lot that goes on, um, you know, behind the scenes, even with specialists that either advocate for uh, their patient to or not to. Um, but you aren't, you're not pervy to know that information. All you know is the person didn't or the person did. So, And we're trying to fill in all of the gaps. You know, it is in my experience as a naturopathic doctor that I have seen individuals be victimized in their health because practitioners have labeled them prematurely mm. without understanding the root cause of the illness that mm -hmm. is manifested in front of them. Mm -hmm. Is its origin in trauma? Is it biochemical? Is it, I had a patient once with scurvy because their primary care physician had failed to ask them about their diet, which had comprised only of potatoes for over two and a half years. Wow. And so I have a, I have a particular sensitivity to the lack of intellectual sophistication that mm -hmm. goes into these blanket labelings mm -hmm. of people, especially as it pertains to their health, because that is my, uh, that is my respective uh, bias. And so in the spirit of, can we put something on the platter to change people's way of thinking? And this really is an opportunity to change your thinking. This isn't about our opinions. Um, you know, I think one of the first things that's on the platter here is to really be mindful of, of your language and your jumping to conclusions mm -hmm. when someone expresses a level of hesitancy with respect to a, a vaccine 
And the second piece I will throw in there is that not all vaccines are created equal. It's not like I'm Mm -hmm. pro-food or Mm -hmm. anti-food. There's a full spectrum of quality of, Mm -hmm. uh, of food. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit, because I'm hearing a lot of people say, and I'm really interested in the conversations that happen in like the parent groups outside when you're picking your kids up. They're like, well, vaccines have been around for a really long time. And do you want smallpox to come back? And I'm like, again, this is the same lack of intellectual sophistication that I think they wouldn't tolerate in other areas of their life. But can you break that down from, from your background? When we talk about vaccination, Mm -hmm. um, some things are well-established and some things are, can you just give us some insight on that background? Right. So when it comes to first off, when it comes to how vaccines come to the market, so people have, I think rapidly started to understand how this is done well, you never knew, understood how it was done before. So you have three phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. And then once phase three is completed, then that vaccine is licensed for use. And it may then be put onto a schedule. And now we're in phase four as a result. And then you're continually um, maintaining the data as a result of its efficacy and safety once you're still in phase four. And so it's, it's continuation. And with the importance of that is detecting if there's any issues with vaccination. Two examples are the DTaP vaccination. So which used to be the whole cell for pertussis used to be whole cell pertussis. Then they've changed it to the acellular pertussis. That's why you see a little A before the P in the DTaP vaccine, because they altered it. They changed it. And why? because they were having a lot of adverse reactions. For those that don't know, Bordetella pertussis is a bacteria releases LPS, lipopolysaccharides. That is incredibly inflammatory. So that's what was happening. So then they made it acellular, and we don't have that issue as a result from changing it, but they needed to have the information as a result to know they needed to do that. How many people, how many people had, and let's be uh, clear, DTAP is a vaccine that kids under the age of five Mm -hmm. uh, will be given. How many kids had the non-acellular DTAP vaccine before we were like, oh shoot, there's an issue here? Right. Many. And so it was in up until mid eighties that we received it. So So for years, this was for years, for years. So then there was the grace to recognize that this was happening, the um, having the ability to have the bandwidth to realize that this is what was happening, to allow for the conversation to be, ah, the vaccine is causing this, so we need to change our the formulation. So they did. Um, and then the rotavirus is another vaccine that was causing an issue in tussiception, which is not something you want in your child. So they pulled it reevaluated and yes, put it back on. But these are two examples of, well, when we're allowing to have the conversation that there may be an issue, we can pull it and um, have a conversation. And that's why when I speak with my patients and I'm going to vaccinate them, they get the adverse reaction uh, table that discusses the potential adverse reaction. So they are informed. So they are aware potentially so that you can let me know so I can report it and we can have a discussion about that. So it's documented. So I also want to tighten up the whole aspect of vaccination so that you know that when we vaccinate 
from A to Z, I'm going to cover all bases versus just here's a little pamphlet. See you later. And so I think that we are doing vaccination a disservice by not being um, encapsulating all of that and, and keeping our chart notes tighter and allowing our patients to have a conversation with us if there is an adverse reaction to have that um, intelligence ability to have a conversation. I don't shy away from it. And even anything, if it's a B12 shot, an herb or a vaccine, you're all are equal. You don't, no one gets an out of jail free card, nobody. Right. Who was it? And how did you do it? And why did you do it? And so if it wasn't a vaccine, okay, great. Goodbye. I guess it was the herb. Interesting. So that is how I, I work because nothing is, everything gets to be scrutinized um, equally. And um, so, yeah. When people say, and and we we do say it, in fact, my husband who is a trained pediatrician, mm. uh, when we're talking about, uh, in, in general, with respect to vaccines, and let's just throw it on the table, the COVID vaccine, what I hear a lot of parents saying right now is, I'm just waiting for more information. Mm-hmm. And they say that, and I, I suspect in many cases, and in fact, even in our own case, when when we are sharing that sentiment, um, we don't necessarily have specifics about what we are, uh, what we are waiting for. It is more just, we're, we're looking for more, we're looking for more data. We watched mm-hmm. this happen with AstraZeneca. It was one in a million, then one in half a million, then one in a hundred thousand, then 55,000, then one in 20,000 people is having an issue with, with significant life-threatening uh, clotting and, th- and thrombotic issues. And mm-hmm. so, you know, taking this a step deeper and going, how, like, what information should we specifically be looking for? Almost in a checklist of, mm-hmm. of satisfying this notion of, well, I'm just kind of waiting for a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I suspect there are probably a few broader, granular bullet mm-hmm. points we can throw in there. Look for this kind of data. It's really important to evaluate safety. Mm-hmm. What would you pick? Well, I like to, number one, go to the vaccine insert first. The vaccine insert is going to be published and within the vaccine package once phase three is completed. So I like to read all inserts. I have all of them in my office. They're actually all on my website that you can download. We currently have with COVID vaccine, a monograph. We don't have an insert yet. So they have information from phase two, phase one, um, and information there. There is um, a PDF that's out that people can read. That was from November twenty from November 19th, 2021, um, about the information on COVID vaccine for children. So this is where the um, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization puts out their um, advisory uh, statement looking at the information on COVID vaccine for children from phase one, two, and continuation right now currently in phase three. And so because an, an insert is going to go through, so I guess the points that would check off the um, the chance and the risk of that infection harming the child. So you want to look at that. You're like, what the risk of contracting the infection, and what are the what are the numbers in terms of when this age group contracts that infection becomes something that I don't even want to see in my child. So what is that? Is it one in one thousand? Is one in one hundred thousand? What is it? So that's where they'll talk about that data. The number two, of course, that we'll talk about is the efficacy of the vaccine. Does it even work? And yes, it does. Yes, COVID vaccine 
does create antibodies in a child, which I think to me is going to be obvious. If you're going to make antibodies in, in a <laughs> teenager, the, the five to 11 year old, they have a rock and awesome immune system. It's fully developed. They're capable of making antibodies. So then number three is going to be safety is what everyone wants to really know as a parent, because you want to know, is this safe for my child? I make a decision upon for my child. Is it safe for them? So then that's what that will go through. And so then they're looking at, okay, well, what did we see in phase two or phase one? And for me is how many children were in phase two? How many are they uh, children are they basing their information on? Is it a thousand? Is it 10,000? Because numbers matter. So, because then was it by chance or was it actually an issue? Um, so those are some checkoff points that I go by and then parents want to know ingredients. So what are the ingredients in, in a vaccine? And it, your inserts will tell you um, there could be some language in there. You're not totally understanding what it means, but you know, that's why. I'm here or anyone else that understands vaccination of, of what that word means. Um, and we can break that down. Why is it in there? So those are the things really. And so in order to determine in terms of safety and efficacy is time, you need time to tell you. And that amount of time in vaccination typically is going to be a few years to tell you so that can satisfy knowing because yes, there are vaccines that have been on the market for decades and so we can, you know, polio vaccine, it is decades. And so we also are trying to take information from other countries right now and pooling that together. Um, also, I like to see, well, how many were in, you know, Switzerland or Germany or India, when you take this information, was it 10 children that you're basing this on and then pooling that all together to make one big number? Or is it a thousand in that country? Because that matters as well. These are the little things that... And different genetic profiles. Different genetic profiles. Demographics. There's a lot of mm -hmm. things because then this is where we get into the shortfalls, which an insert won't tell you. This is my own very... This is my interest around vaccination is... Why could a vaccine not work for you? Or why would someone have an adverse reaction when someone else doesn't? So some of these questions that I try to answer and how could I um, optimize that then as a result? Because I think with vaccination, uh, medical intervention, which is inflammatory, it's in, it, it is inflammatory to make an antibody, period, of all the vaccinations. It is the process that which have taken the antigen to circumvert an antibody. That's what happens. So for some people, some bodies are going to come in more inflamed because their lifestyle choices or maybe their health moving in. So this is an opportunity for me to be like, well, we actually do need to improve this these ailments in you because we, we should anyways. And then you're going to have a better efficacy as a result of when you do receive a vaccine be it's tetanus, be it's MMR, be it's COVID. So you should be doing that anyway. So if you are a person that enjoys, um, you know, eating a lot of sugar, you don't exercise, you don't sleep well and so forth. And if you've reached a certain BMI overweight, that will affect a vaccines eff being efficacious for you as, and so the whole point of you getting vaccinated or your child to get vaccinated is so that they make antibodies so that when they come in contact with that infection, they can handle the infection better and only show 
mild symptoms because they have the army or the insurance in them to deal with that antigen much faster than someone who did not. That's the primary reason, not the secondary reason, the primary reason we vaccinate is so that you do better with the infection. Um, home insurance. Insurance. Home Literally, insurance. it is home insurance. It is home And insurance. you are the home. Exactly. When we talk about that, the natural question is, okay, fair. We've protected ourselves. Level one, it's that's frankly the priority of the people protecting the healthcare system. It, it should be everyone's priority right now as we have conversations about health. How do I better protect my home? Um, what about this notion that when I am vaccinated, I am now protecting everybody else? Can we talk about that specifically specifically in the mm-hmm. context of the COVID vaccine? So when you become, when you're vaccinated and you create antibodies, so you come in contact with the infection, you've breathed it in a lot of these, obviously these things that are, um, you know, floating in the air, be it's measles, be it's pertussis, be it's COVID, you breathe it in. And then what you're wanting and hoping is that you've got enough antibodies to then neutralize that antigen. And so that maybe your symptoms will only be mild, if not nothing. So then you aren't able to spread that infection as if someone had not had a vaccine, because if you have not had a vaccine, then you breathe that infection in and then you don't have the army to deal with it. So then it, it manifests further into something more moderate or severe. That's the whole primary objective and the goal. So as a vaccinated person, because you can, uh, you can remove, deal with the infection faster, then you're not able to spread or you're not as virulent, the, the virus isn't as virulent, we're talking about COVID, to be able to spread to someone beside you. So that's the secondary aspect of vaccinating, protecting the people around us. But then we have to go back to the primary aspect is because if you've been vaccinated, then if someone is coughing on you or sitting beside you, you should have your home insurance as a result. So this is where breaking these boundaries in this this narrative of being vaccinated and sitting beside someone, a healthy, unvaccinated person or a healthy vaccinated person, it it shouldn't, it, it should not matter because you have insurance. So it's okay to sit beside these people on a bus or a train, frankly, because they are, A, you're not going to be boarding when you're clearly sick, but if you're asymptomatic, you don't know that you have it, be it COVID or something else, then you as a person who's been vaccinated has that insurance. That's why you do it. Um, And so these notions that you can't or shouldn't, or that's an, that part is a problem. No, that's, that's not even part of the conversation, quite frankly, of you as a vaccinated person to be not able to sit beside because going back to some people can't, some people advise not to. And so are we going to really divide our community, our family as a result of thinking, or you've been told you shouldn't sit beside them? No, you got vaccinated actually to maybe even protect them because they can't. And we give a buffer and with all vaccination, we give a buffer about 5%. We want to hit 95% herd immunity because we allow for 5% to not be vaccinated, can't be vaccinated, the vulnerable, et cetera. And so that same thing should be applied to this because we do it with everything else. Um, right. But it doesn't seem like it is. And I don't know, you know, this is how it works because also 
Some people don't make antibodies very well. We don't know whom that is. That's why we allow for the buffer. Um, you're, you're, you're even genetically predispositioned not to be able to make antibodies very well. And that happens all the time when it comes to measles and mumps, people don't make antibodies very well. Um, and that's just, you know, when you check someone's antibodies, they just don't have immunity, but there's reasons why and the literature talks about it, which is fascinating. Do there's different components to our immune systems. Mm-hmm. And so here we're specifically talking about, uh, antibodies and and vaccines increase uh, antibodies against a specific, and in this case, we're talking about a virus, but there are other members of our immune system army, one of which are T-cells. Are T-cells generally influenced by vaccines? So they're going to be secondary influenced due to your innate immune system. So you've got your innate, which is your um, your macrophages, we'll give it a name, macrophages, nodidic cells, which is your, their, your army that's on the scene right away. So what they do is they see the antigen, they, they eat it. These are Pac-Man, they engulf it. And then they're going to travel to your lymphatic system to present it to T and B cells. So that adaptive side. So that's you, the side that's, that's waiting for the message that something's wrong. And the then second gonna, rung. Yes, exactly. Portion of the army. Yeah. So then they are going to recognize, oh, look, there's something inside that macrophage. Ooh, look, it's COVID. Okay, let's kill it or let's, with our B cells, remember it. And so that's how basically the, the aspect of it happens for all vaccination is we need a strong innate immune system to speak to our adaptive side to make an antibody. Um, so they, they all work in harmony and the communication between the two is using what's called cytokines. So the cytokines are going to com- communicate between the two. Um, and it's interesting what happens in infancy versus adults and the lack thereof of these particular cytokines, which why we may not have a good seroconversion in infants versus someone who has a fully grown immune system, which is by the age of two. Um, so these are bits then that we can go down, but basically, yes, you've got innate and then you've got TMB cells. Yeah. And I share this because, um, in, in the narrative of discussion and in the narrative of, well, we should all be protecting each other. I think, you know, back to this idea of it starts with how you take care of your home. These T cells are highly influenced by protein quality and diversity of nutrients and high quality nutrients and vitamin status and regularity of exercise and all of these pieces. And conceivably, if we are protecting our own inherent immune systems, we're going to be able to decrease that that viral load. Like there are actions that we can all take as individuals to additionally support our community. And so one of the things I just want to put on the platter here is if you are one of these people who feel really strongly that we should all be helping each other out, that it is it is a yes and mm. when it comes to this notion of a vaccine that not only can you go and line up and get your shot, but you can also be taking full responsibility for your own health mm-hmm. and that it really, the bare, bare, bare minimum on the public health side narrative is get your shot. But if we really, if you really, I'm trying not to have an opinion, just an idea, just an idea here. <laughs> if you really, really are committed to this notion of we should all be doing all the things all the time, then we need to also address what's happening with respect to the food choices oh, yeah. that you are make and the exercise oh, yeah. and the weights you're lifting and all the things that are actually going to 
increase your capacity to neutralize this virus when, and I really believe it's a matter of when, we all come in contact with it. You bring up such a great point about all the things for protecting your home and those that are listening, your, your vaccine will, will not work very well if you come into this inflamed and sick, period. And there is evidence, really good ev- evidence, even around the influenza vaccine. You have poor vitamin D status, zinc, even other nutrients. You will not seroconvert very well. You will not make an antibody very well. So all while you've been vaccinated, it, it, it almost becomes a moot point at times with some people because they did not hit the threshold to be protected because of their health status going in. So yes, you can damage your immune system. Oh my goodness. You can do so many things to harm it. Your choices affect that immune system and your insurance policy is out the window when you make these choices. So it is upon yourself. We're in this for the greater good then it is upon you and your responsibility to take care of that home of yours if you want your insurance to even work. Or you know what? It's not going to work. It's flooding and fires. And well, you don't have protection to that. Sorry. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So you, you alluded to a few pieces in there too, which is, you know, if your nutrient status is good and, and if you aren't inflamed and all of these pieces, and I know one of the things you really love to talk about when you're working with your patients is, um, this notion of vaccine optimization, if you're going to make that, uh, if you're going to make the decision to vaccinate, and I can speak freely about my myself, I've done a podcast on this, why I got the jab and also why it's none of your business, but I talked about it. Um, there were, I mean, there were things that I did before I got that vaccine. And after I got that vaccine, I was really mindful of what my, uh, what my health status looked like. One of the things I was interested in was like, what would happen to my HRV? When mm-hmm. I, in the days leading up to the day I got my vaccine, because I was hearing people say, you know, crash and burn and never recovered and all these pieces. There was no, there was, there was no shift in that data, uh, certainly uh, for me. And I was really happy that I had access to knowledge that would enable me to, uh, to optimize my own home walking into that decision. Um, but this is what you do mm-hmm. day in and day out mm-hmm. for a much broader spectrum of patients. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to this, Taylor? Like what, yeah. what you're talking about when you say yeah. vaccine optimization? Yes. So vaccine optimization um, is embodies different things, the language, the feeling safe to talk to me because boy, people come in and I can tell they're nervous, but we, you know, we have some laughs and then we're good. Um, then it's about optimizing that immune system. And so typically with children, cause it's the bulk of whom I'm supporting is we go through all their health. We, we start with their health status and I go through all of that, all the things And if I see that, you know what, we do need to improve, for example, gut health, because believe it or not, there's a lot that goes in there, particularly around the immune system in the gut. So, and that can be a reason. And there's evidence, the lack thereof, or the improvement of certain bacterial species improve your seroconversion. Who would have thought? So this is where I need to clean that up and fix that before, you know, we move forward so that we have better efficacy. And so we're going to choose the things the supplements that are going to hit all of these things. So this is going to be the probiotics, maybe spores, um, 
Bacillus subtilis has come into the information of helping with seroconversion, so spores. Then D, vitamin D is an obvious one, to zinc. And with COVID vaccine, um, I've been introducing some things that are you know, going to help with that inflammatory response post. Melatonin is an interesting one. So we've been introducing that. Um, and then lifestyle pieces. So, you know, there's a bit more that I'll, I'll, I'll do depending on the person's needs, but that's why we have, we go through, well, tell me more about yourself, just like I would with anybody to see if there's something specific that we need to add in as a result, or is there something I need to improve before we move forward? Um, vitamin C is another one, which is, which is obvious, not a lot, but a specific amount, um, which there's been data around why you would, So all these things that I'm choosing is because, well, interesting, the literature is saying X, Y, Z of how I can improve this and maybe mitigate some of these, you know, mild, moderate, adverse reactions because yes, vaccination is inflammatory, but you know what? So is being a car accident or so is getting surgery. So it's sort of the same, same implications although you know right. when you're going to get vaccinated versus in a car accident. But this right. is why people will come out of a car accident in more pain, not feeling well when they're like, I don't understand what's going on. So you went into the car accident inflamed and not well and unhealthy. So we we can plan then with vaccination as a result. Um, yeah. In speaking to um, individuals, like what I'm trying not to do is just have sweeping generalizations in which we are are making our own informed decision. Mm-hmm. Are there pockets of the population besides inflamed people, and in some cases people are inflamed and don't know that they are inflamed, where you have some hesitation in jumping into vaccines as a as a as a first line of defense right now? Can you speak to that at all? Well, um, there are some patients where I have pause with them. And so they're specialists, you know, we're kind of on the same page where we're, they're not getting concrete answers from their specialists of yay or nay. And so they're coming to me, not necessarily for me to say yay or nay to them either, but you know what, look, um, how do we make my body better? And so there are some people based on their conditions of pause and even, you know, reading through, um, Pfizer's, um, pamphlet, well, their 24 page pamphlet of their um, advisory committee statement for children and looking at the conditions, even within that, that were excluded from the trial. So it's like, huh, okay, well, then that would, you could obviously use that towards adults. And so those inflammatory conditions that they talked about um, would be a moment of pause for me to like, well, um, if we can wait, then let's, let's work on this beforehand. And some of those can be either derived from chronic infections, maybe there's a neurological condition, um, be it even if they're on biologics. So it's one of those areas of like, all right, let's work with this and improve so that when you, when you do, you have better outcomes. Um, and everyone's on the same page with that. So it does, it doesn't happen often, I would say, but it does happen at, at, at times. And then we, we um, try to optimize that as a result. What does informed consent mean? Mm, good one. So this informed consent means that you have been told um, it's a, the risks with 
vaccination, the risks without vaccination, the benefits of vaccination, the alternatives to your decision, and what those are. The opportunity to ask questions. What's interesting to achieve informed consent here in British Columbia, as put by the BC CDC, it's a seven-step process. And one of those is the opportunity to ask questions. So whatever that is. And so then you need to be able to um, weigh this risk versus benefit ratio, as we call it, to be able to make this informed decision. If there is lack of information, you should know that, which I am open to sharing with people. I don't know that. I have not seen that. I cannot answer that or that has not been done yet. So I can't answer it. So then people will realize and make their decisions. Some people make decisions based on, well, if there's a lack of evidence, I'm actually okay with that. Or for some people, the lack of evidence, I'm not okay with that. That question has to be answered before I move forward. So that is where informed consent can take a while to achieve. It won't happen in five minutes. And me just saying to you, it's safe and effective is not good enough for me. It's not good enough. Um, and so I get, like to get into the, the nuances, the nitty gritties. And so I don't say it's safe and effective. We basically ask me a, a question and I will answer it. And then, and then you would say, okay, well, based on all of what you're saying, I feel it's effective enough, which they most all, all always are. And, and I'm comfortable with its safety that has been done thus far within the phase one, two, three clinical trials. Okay, let's move forward. So I, my mission with patients is for, to help them to achieve, um, come to a point where they have achieved enough information so they will consent to do something. Because frankly, I don't care what people's decisions are. I don't, because I have no emotional attachment to your decision. I can't, we shouldn't. Um, but I care about if you have made you walk out of my door being more informed than you were before you came in, or maybe you're leaving with more questions that we need to do. You need to do some more reading on to satisfy that your decision of whatever, which you're doing. And, and, um, which is, you know, which is, I think the, the, the core of what we as naturopathic doctors or any healthcare practitioner can do is be that unbiased person and be transparent and leave the emotion at the door. I don't have emotions towards your decision. Great. You decided to vaccinate. Great. Let's move on. I, I, this is your decision, your body, your life, and it doesn't affect me and your decision-making. Um, cause I may, I may never see you again, but I want to know that you would never come back and say to me, you didn't tell me this. I, right. I couldn't, yeah, I just, I, that part, I would be really tough for me to handle. You didn't tell me this. I did not know this. You, you should have known this. And then that would be, oh, that would be a tough conversation. So I want that to never happen. So I want to answer all questions and achieve a point where I've informed you to the point that to my best ability. Do you think we'll hit herd immunity with this current virus? Oh, that's a tough question. You know, this is an opinion piece now. <laughs> Well, I mean, when we've got Health Canada telling us that the efficacy of 
this about the vaccines are waning after six months um, is one thing. And the other thing is, is as we are faced with new variants, is the vaccine going to be effective against these variants? Question mark. Time will tell. Time will tell. We are in that moment of, of understanding if it will or will not. This is why we have daily cases. This is why we're, we're collecting, collecting data every day to see is the trend going up or is the trend going down? And what variant is it? Is it the vaccinated or the unvaccinated? Is it the elderly or is it, is it children? So the, all of this information is really important to gather so that then we know when we're done phase three, which we're in right now, we can collectively put all that information together on an insert. So I, I try to keep up with it all, um, but just sort of sitting with it and sometimes sitting back and waiting and watching um, to see, okay, is, is what is happening? Is it working? Is it not working? And then you're looking at other countries, their data and their information to help, you know, understand us. So will we hurt, hit herd immunity? I perhaps, perhaps I think it can happen. I mean, if it's naturally because a vaccine cannot help you with, you know, a different variant that you're exposed to, um, because a vaccine isn't going to stop you from contracting. You breathe, if you're in the same airspace as the, you breathe it in, and what happens next is important. Does your GI tract deal with that or not? Does it go systemic? Does it become, do you, are we able to neutralize that antigen? That we'll figure that out. We'll know once you get it. So yeah, good question. If you were dictating public health policy. <laughs> That'd be fun. Right now. <laughs> we're now hanging out in the realm of <laughs> new ideas. Yeah. If Dr. Taylor Bean was running a public health policy and, and grant and given your, um, your interest in a fulsome an unbiased evaluation of what's going on, but also your your keen capacity to actually manage people and how this information is interpreted on the ground level. What would you be doing differently or more of if you had an opportunity to step into that leadership mm. role? Well, as a naturopathic doctor walking into public health, I would A, free to check your vitamin D status. Hmm. That would be free because, well, in British Columbia, it, it costs $65 to check your 25-hydroxy. And you would be able to check your 125-hydroxy, which actually costs $95. That would be first off. Um, number two, education around how to make your immune system healthy. That would be mandated, in my opinion. There would be more education around that because I think that empowers people. And I think that's part of the solution. Because right now, the only thing that you're hearing is just get vaccinated. And so that still propels fear. Fear suppresses your immune system because cortisol is not good at high levels constantly, but no one knows that. So that what I would talk I know about. that. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. <laughs> so these are the things that I would be ensure talking about. I want my health minister, if I was the health minister, I would certainly be talking about health and how to maintain and embody it all the solutions, all of them, and talk about how how you treat yourself can affect efficacy. That's empowering. So that would be what I would be doing. Secondly, as many, maybe some of your listeners know, I am 100% against mandates. I would not be mandating. 
as a naturopathic doctor, someone in the realm of medicine mandates take away my ability to give you full informed consent. And that to me is not okay. I cannot achieve informed consent when it's mandated. What am I informing you about when it's mandated? There's nothing Mm -hmm. to inform you. We don't have a discussion. We don't, I don't get to, I don't even need to know anything about you. I'm not Mm going to know what's about your history, what medications you're on, by the way, can also be contraindicated when you vaccinate some, some medications. There's almost a hundred of them. So there's all of these things that play into it that, um, I need to know so I can inform you before you consent. So I am 100% against mandates always have been always will. And that's just where I stand. And while some people may disagree with me, that is okay. Freedom of speech, but I want to be able to do my job to my best ability. And I can't with a mandate. Nobody can, nobody can. So nobody can. Yeah. Right. And while now it's about, well, you can't go into a restaurant or gym or movie theater. Okay. That's now that was step one. I don't know what the further steps are. If there's other steps that will be encroaching on your, your liberties, the ability to access food and so forth. Is it coming? I don't know. I didn't think it would come this far with mandates. So anyways, that's what I would do if I was in politics. I love it. And I I will echo that because I don't want to leave you out there on that piece that I agree with you on. uh, I agree with you on that spectrum of mandates. You know, one of the things I have found most empowering in my career is that moment when patients take control and ownership of their own health and they have this aha moment where they go, you mean if I like... I've been eating really well and I feel amazing and I don't have that pain anymore. And that thing I was told was never going to go away has actually resolved. And when we mandate an intervention and in addition to mandating that intervention, also falsely label that as a state of security and health and leave it the conversation there, Mm -hmm. what we do is completely remove the possibility for people to just naturally lean into this idea of taking responsibility for their own health, of, of having the opportunity to have that aha moment. It continues to drive a narrative that health is something that happens to you. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you can create from within uh, within yourself. So, you know, for, for so many reasons, I, like there's just something really powerful about the goal, my goal always in practice was how can I get this person to a place where they are able to make decisions related to their own health that are informed by their own journey, where they feel like they have a control uh, over where they are going to go and always with a lens towards uh, certainly not uh, harming others. Mm-hmm. Um, but the science is showing mm-hmm. that mandating vaccines actually doesn't stop the spread of the uh, of the disease. And so, you know, as someone, we both do uh, respect the literature and respect the science. This isn't just a like stick it. You can't, right. you can't mandate right. me. Right. It, it is, it is a position. I will speak for myself. That is, that is truly informed by the real time science that we are seeing uh, emerging in front of us and, and fear around what happens when we take the opportunity away from people to have full ownership uh, mm-hmm. over their over yeah. their health. And with mandates, as they start to come out in different sectors, um, particularly the health care sector, uh, we will lose 
all of us will lose because people are leaving their profession, be it um, at a hospital. Be it hospitals are full, but I tell you, they're also understaffed, which looks like they're full. When you don't have enough staff, yes, you can't continue to take care of people as you should. They're going to potentially encroaching onto private healthcare, which includes naturopathic doctors, chiros, dentists, um, you name it. And all of us will lose as a result because either clinics will close or you don't get access to your care anymore. And as naturopathic doctors here in British Columbia, that can be your primary care giver. No one wins with that. And so no one wins. people will step away and you will be without care, be it it's the conventional side or it is the functional integrative side. It's gone. This is why I an absolute note of mandates because it will affect you in more ways than one. And even though you've been vaccinated, um, it can still, it will affect you on different levels, which actually could be, maybe you need surgery, something not even to do with vaccination, whatever it is, cancer care, these sort of things. So, um, I really implore you as a, as a listener to reach out to your MLA your MP and let them know, MP if you haven't. Yeah. um, your voice really matters. It really does. Um, because we're all in this together. We are in more than one way. And this is a big one, obviously, because it's, we're talking about healthcare and you could not have access to it as a result of a mandate. So. Yeah, there are more, there's more than one route to optimal health. There's more than one route to peace of mind. There is more than one route out of uh out of this pandemic mm -hmm. and again it's back to the sophistication of thought that we all have the opportunity to access you know I, I i've been a parent for the last 10 years and never never being like this is the only way it's ever going to get done that has never worked it's mm -hmm. just it's not in our human nature and so uh in recognizing that i think there's real opportunity to start to bring other and additional solutions mm -hmm. uh to the table that are not divisive mm -hmm. that are are not starting to segment society there re there really is an opportunity for us uh, to approach this particular challenge with a level of compassion and empathy for the fact that not everyone has the same physiological story mm -hmm. as you mm -hmm. i feel like we could do this all day long <laughs> scrape at the same time i i, I also I, i'm also recognizing that we have we have put some ideas um, onto the platter for people to start to chew. And while we we both ended uh, with our opinion on uh, this notion of, of mandate, uh, we still, I think, are hanging out in a space where we both recognize the role that vaccination has to play in this current pandemic and in a health protection and health public policy perspective, mm -hmm. and that those are actually two separate issues. And that's what I want you to see on the on the table and on the platter here is not, oh, well, you gave me things to chew on, then you threw me your opinion. It's no, it's that they are actually two separate, uh, they're two separate issues. Mm -hmm. um, and when we recognize that, again, we can bring a different sophistication of thought to how we solve the solution. So in mm -hmm. saying that, I, I want to switch gears slightly because I get to have these three rapid fire questions oh, yeah. okay. at the end um, that maybe have nothing to do with vaccination <laughs> and the questions at hand. Um, I never asked this question, but I'm going to because I'll just segue off of it. What's your favorite color? Oh, purple fuchsia. Mm -hmm. 
Great. Great. So now that we've completely changed direction on this, <laughs> what's what's the biggest lesson you have learned personally in the last year? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I've leveled, leveled up the, the language piece, but um, recognizing people's journeys and um, how to navigate that with them. So, I mean, language, God, is it powerful? Um, and, and people not even realizing, you know, the, the triggering aspect of their language uh, is really coming up this past year. Um, but um, obviously taking care of yourself is another big one I really, really learned. Even as an ND, you can always improve. So, you know, I've taken things a little bit, a little bit more seriously as a result. But I think language just, just hits me because I just, it's something I always see and be it it's in family, which I've been um, correcting them on, on you know, lightly on certain verbiage that people use and not realizing it's not funny. It's not funny what you've just said. And you don't realize that. I mean, we learn, we've, we've, we've done that with, you know, words within race, you know. Um, this is another area that we didn't realize can be triggering words. It can be traumatizing for people because you've never, never lived in this world of vaccination before, but now you all are. Uh, but this is not new. Some of these words and how we treat, you know, what people's decision-making. And so trying to turn off the media and let's start learning and, and let's, let's expand your intelligence around this topic um, because I think it's time. It's time. So, yeah. Next question. What is the health habit you are most consistent with in your own life? Oh, hmm. well, you know what? I just moved to a farm, a hundred acre farm, actually. And, um, it's really, for, and, and it's always been something certainly is, is movement and get outside, but boy, taking those breaks to be with nature Wow. It really does, um, ground you really does. And so that has been, although I have a farm to, to be on, but it's been this like right on, okay, I'm going to consistently be doing this just outside walking within nature, man, does it really just ground you? (laughs) Um, and I think that's, we are always in this perpetual sympathetic mode that just does this serious disservice to your body, sleep and immune immune system, particularly. Um, but your overall that piece. So finding that place of peace, be it it's a, you know, you go for a walk, be it's a rock that you look at, be it it's, you know, looking at a fireplace burning wood. It's just something that just dial be able to dial it down. And that's been um sort of this new ish, although I have before, but more so consistent for me is just that finding really find some finding something that brings um, calmness to your day of whatever it is. um, And realizing yes, that social media and on the computer and on the phone all the time is really it is not healthy um, at all. Um, Turn it off and do something different will will go a long way for you. Um, Yeah. Last question for you. Entrepreneurship. Are we born this way or do we learn to become entrepreneurs? <laughs> My goodness. You know, um, 
this was not my original career thought. I was going to become a, I wanted to become a high school teacher because I love for the love of teaching, but I realized that that was not going to be, I don't think it was going to be sustainable for me. Um, and I have definitely learned how to become an entrepreneur and realizing that I love it. Um, this profession is about entrepreneurship and I have seen colleagues leave the profession because it's an entrepreneurship type of profession, but, um, man, I love it. I love the the dynamic with it. And so I, I, perhaps I was born and then it has really, really birthed that piece of me and it's been growing exponential, but I, I think it can be learned, but you know, you have to have the passion, tenacity, the will, the love that it all, you know, entails with what entrepreneurship, you know, is. And I've just right now opening a new clinic, never owned a clinic before. And all the things that go with that are actually kind of exciting, um, different, new. And, um, I don't, you know, it's not something that I shy away from. So it's, it's neat to be able to be part of something that you can give back and because I'm all about community. So I look forward to being able to give back to the community here in BC and seminar. Um, and, and being an entrepreneur allows you to do that. So, yeah. So beautifully said, Dr. Taylor Bean up to so many amazing things, definitely worth the follow uh, on Instagram. Where can we send people to yeah. uh, follow along and learn more about you? So, yeah. So I, my website is dr for Dr. Taylor Bean.com. And I have another website, which is www.vaccineoptimization.com. So there is a website where I have um, eight webinars, uh, either you can have buy them individually or all at once, but it's about nine plus hours of information and all the citations are there of everything I talked about. And um, from infant immunity to the viruses and bacteria we vaccinate in childhood to what is aluminum and how do we optimize our, our immune system and vaccine optimization. So that's another website. And then Instagram is Dr. Taylor Bean. So you, I have been, my Instagram is basically 100% on vaccines is what it is now. It used to not be, but I just taken full head and this is what you I'm know, doing. we're in it. We, we are in it and people have questions. <laughs> totally. There's and- no fun, pretty photos anymore. It's just straight up vaccination. That's what I'm using Instagram for. And it's been great. So um, lots of, lots of talk, lots of interesting, you know, um, cause I put those questions out there. I'm, you're in my sounding board. Teach me, tell me what right. did you learn, send me information. And that's, what's happening is because I want to know more and, and there's only so many hours in the day. So tell me what you're learning. So it's been awesome. Um, it's, it's helped me see different viewpoints or understanding. Um, and it's created a community, which is even more important, around um, breaking these boundaries and barriers that are old and archaic need to go on that note thank you so much for being here this was so much fun and everything uh all the links all the pieces that we uh talked about can be found in our show notes at meganwalker.com forward slash podcast thanks dr bean awesome thank you I told you this was going to be a big one. Um, If you're still hanging out with me, 
you got to the end, uh, you know, we covered, uh, we covered a lot. Uh, I really wanted to put ideas on the table. We tried to do that where we were sharing our opinions. We shared our opinions, but I share my opinion in the spirit of informing an evolved state of your own ideas. It is not because I need to be right. In fact, all of us have the right to also be wrong. And it's from that, uh, it's from that intention and it's with that spirit that uh, I want to, uh, I want to encourage everybody. The, ch- the challenge, the call to action that I want to provide for everybody is I want you to just step back and think about not necessarily even in the context of vaccines and the current state of the world. I just want you to step back and give reflection to where in your life you could moving forward because we can't change the past. We could moving forward be more aware and empathetic towards people with differing or diverging opinions from our own. Where can we take a deep breath and listen from a place of empathy and not jump to assumptions? Where might right now you need to apologize to someone for not giving them the breadth and freedom to come to their own conclusion? And so I'm not going to send you anywhere to get a, uh, to, to leave a review. I'm not going to tell you to join anything in particular. I will share that if you are, are looking for um, more information about Taylor, that those notes are in our show notes. Uh, but I really would love to just create space in this moment um, for, for you to just reflect on what the next level of engagement can look like for you. What would be necessary on that platter for you to have a heightened degree of empathy as you listen to people who have a different opinion uh, than your own? That, I feel like, would have a profound change and influence on the world around us. So on that note... I want to wish everyone an incredible week of uh, of impact. I will be back here again, like always, next Tuesday. I'm going to be joined by Cash of Khan. We're going to be talking about DNA, personalized medicine, and the emerging and growing science of how we can take our health into our own hands when we have a look under the hood at our own user manuals, our genetics, and our DNA. So until next week, have an amazing, as amazing few days ahead. And we will chat again next Tuesday. 